Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your host, Alan Smith. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. And welcome back to the show, everyone. Today is Thursday, December 18th, 2014. And appreciate you tuning in and listening this evening. We have a uh, uh, a special show, actually, in fact. We have uh, a professional truck driver of 39 years, Randy Tomlin, will be joining us to share his story live on an incident that occurred back in September of 2006. And um, it's it's a... It's a hard hard story to hear, but we wanted to get it out there too and you know, with the holidays coming up, it might be kind of a seem like an odd show to have just before the major holidays, but it also has to a certain degree a, a happy ending. Uh Randy survived the incident and he is still here today to celebrate the holidays with his wife and family, so we wanted to bring his story live to you this evening so you can hear uh, how it relates to a uh, proposed bill right now in legislation uh, referring to Mike's Law and why Randy uh, is a um, in favor of Mike's Law. He wanted to share uh, his thoughts and ideas about Mike's Law as well. So, I mean, Donna, this is a uh, a big issue still going into the trucking industry, picking up really big steam. I think last time I looked at uh, Mike's Law, um, it had nearly 8,400 sign- signatures. And so uh, it's it's fitting to have Randy on and see what truck drivers often go through out there and how it relates to this issue. Well, absolutely, uh, Alan. And um, we got to speak with Randy, both of us, and uh, – he, his story, and for those of you who don't know, he was shot on the side of the road um, offering to help someone, and he is going to uh, share that story with you tonight and how he survived. Um, I asked Randy if he felt if he, uh, you know, if Mike's Law was in effect, if, if it would have prevented that, and he said absolutely. Um, we want to get through with um, James Lamb will be calling in who is actually um, the author of uh, Mike's Law from Small Business and Transportation Coalition. And he's going to be discussing some of the myths that are going on, like that's all we need is, you know, all the truckers to have a gun. And, you know, that's not what it is. And he'll explain in more detail, but basically it's to... Uh, alleviate all these uh, reciprocity, uh, oh, I said the word, um, laws between the states for those who already uh, legally carry. So 
Uh, it's a great show tonight. Um, you know, we'll get to hear about Mike's Law and the story that uh, Randy will share with us about what happened to him uh, just as he was trying to be a good Samaritan. A lot of times people set you up. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be really good. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Great guy, too. Enjoyed speaking with him. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting story and everything. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Our special guest, Randy Tallman, coming up on Truth About Trucking Live. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. Hey, ready, Porter? Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. <laughs> Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way. Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you? I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having. Back in a bit. What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheetCentral. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. Randy uh, Tomlin is our guest this evening. Randy, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, you know, I never had a chance to really uh, talk to you before the show, but um, how how long, you know, if, I know you're out there on the road even, so, you know, if you need to 
if you need to get out of here and everything, just let me know. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how your, uh, you know, how your time is for the, for tonight. I'm just waiting on a call from dispatch right now. I'm in the motel. Oh, you are okay. All right. Well, if you need to, oh, okay. Well, just if you need to get going, just let us know. But hey, we've got a. Um, uh, you know, I I was saying before the show. I don't know if you were on there or not. You know, but uh, you know, this will probably be uh, more than likely, Donna, our last show of 2014. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, unless well, we might have one next week. We're still stirring that up a little bit, but um, for like a Wednesday. But it, we've got to see what's going on. Okay, because I, I know next Thursday is Christmas, and next Thursday is New Year, so it might possibly be January 8th of 2015. But, you know, Randy, I, I like to have you on here to share this story. I mean, it's uh, hard to hear sometimes, but uh, there's also a, a, a happy ending to it, so to speak. I mean, you survived, and you're here and with your family and wife. and But I know you're still having problems, but... You know, before we get to your story, and I know James Lamb is on the line too. We'll get him on here in a little bit. But with your story, I mean, you've always, uh, my understanding, you've always been a good Samaritan, helping people out and everything. And even uh, even today, you say that you, you're still a good Samaritan in some part. I try to be. I really do. <laughs> well, uh, this happened in uh, September third, two thousand six. Um, for those who are just tuning in and may not know your story, just go ahead and tell us exactly what what happened on that uh, on that day in 2006. I was basically just driving down the road about 3 o'clock in the morning. Some young lady flagged me down, said that she had a flat tire, and uh, asked me if I could help her. I said, yes, I would. I got out of my truck, uh, walked up there to her car, and about the time I walked up there to her car, this guy jumps out of the back seat of her car. They hit me in the head. Of course, I went down. I felt his hands in my pocket. They robbed me, and right as they went to take off, pulled the trigger. The bullet's still in me. And that bullet, let's see, it went through um, just between your lower back and pelvis, but very close to the spine, so... Uh, I mean, I know the doctors had told you that. Well, you'll 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 never walk again, but you proved them wrong. But they they decided to leave that thing in there because it'd be more dangerous to uh, try to get it out, huh? That is correct. They said it'd be more damage to take it out than it would to leave it in. Well, did did they ever catch the people who did that? No, ma'am. They never did. And by what never I never did eight eight. Eight years later, still no, huh? Yeah, and by what I understand, there was two more people, two more truck drivers that happened within a 50-mile radius of me, but the only good thing about them, they did not get shot. Uh, why? I mean, were you fighting with him that uh, they uh, felt that, you know, they had to shoot you? I mean, it's kind of strange if they just want to rob you and... Some people, I guess, are just violent. I mean, there's no two ways about it. But was there a reason that they, uh, do you feel like, did they feel threatened in any way? Oh, yeah. Or they were just mean? Huh? Oh, yes, I come up fighting. But, you know, the cop, he looked at me and told me in the hospital, he said, well, you shouldn't have fought with him. And I looked at that cop, and I remember telling that cop, I said, well, 
who's to say if I hadn't come up fighting that I wouldn't have just laid there, they would have stuck the gun in the back of my head and pulled the trigger. I mean, you never know. Well, did you did you know he had a gun? I mean, you know, it was 3 a.m., it was dark. and um, No, I really didn't know that he had a gun at the time because I was laying on the ground. They had already hit me in the head, and, of course, I didn't know what they had hit me in the head with. Right. Well, that was my po- that was my point to try to come up with. I mean, you came up fighting, but you, you, I mean, as far as you knew, it was just a fist fight. But you know, they just happened to bring a bring a gun to a fist fight. More or less, yeah. Well, well you you were in. Oh, go ahead, Don. Well, I was just going to ask him. Um, I I know um, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. I, Alan's going to talk about like your hospital stay and everything, but. Um, you had said uh, earlier yesterday that mm-hmm. you felt that uh, had, had well. You're a big supporter of Mike's law, first of all, which is the uh, petition right now uh, to carry in all 48 for 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 drivers for those um, in interstate commerce. Uh, but you had said that you felt that if Mike's law was in effect, that uh, this wouldn't have happened. Is that correct? Well, I feel like if I would have had my gun on me and they could have seen that I'd have had my gun on me, it would have been a whole different scenario. I mean, you know, that's just like a thief going to break into something. A thief is going to take a chance of going in and breaking into something that's not locked rather than something that's locked. Well, let me ask you this. If If you had a firearm, I mean, as far as you knew, it was just a a lone lady on the side of the side of the interstate, dark with a flat tire. I mean, would you have gotten out of? I mean, in your mind, that was all that was there. Just 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 a lady, you know, alone needing help. Would you have gotten out of the truck with your firearm even then? Yes, I would have. Okay. Okay, but you weren't suspicious at the time when you saw her. You just figured she was all alone, correct? That is correct. Okay. As a matter of fact, whenever I did get out of the truck, of course, I had my flashlight in my back pocket, and it was a five-cell flashlight, you know, that I could have something for some type of protection, if that makes sense on what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let me ask you... Let me ask you this too, Randy, because uh, I, I'm just kind of curious to get into you know a mindset of someone in that position when when you're walking when you were walking up to the car. I mean, it's aggravating to know that you know just over eight years later the the, the these people that did that still aren't aren't captured. You know, so I mean, when you were walking up to the car, uh, did were you taking mental notes at all of what kind of car it was, uh, 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 anything that would be helpful to the police that would catch them? No. No. Okay. All I remember whenever it happened is that it had a Michigan tag on it, and I also noticed that it was a dark-covered, I believe, Ford Taurus. But I couldn't Okay, so you did remember. Yeah, I couldn't, re- to be honest with you, I couldn't even remember if it was black or, or real dark blue. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, that's, uh, you know, a lot of people, and, and, and here's the thing, a lot of people will say uh, the comments that, you know, you read online, social media, well, you know, just don't put yourself in a position where that's going to happen. And, you know, I've been, I hear things like, well, I've been I out here, hear you. I can, I'm out here 20 years and I've never been worried or attacked or anything like that. I just don't put myself in a position. But sometimes, you know, things do happen even when you don't put yourself in a position. I mean, people could say, well, he shouldn't have stopped to help her. But, I mean, a lot of people stop to help people. You know, that's not really putting yourself in a position. That's just being a a good Samaritan type of thing. Um, Anyway, I just uh, just wanted to, to know, I mean, do you... Have you done anything? Have you spoken to James Lamb personally to support Mike's law? I know we're going to bring him on in a minute so we can get an um, update on what's going on with this right now. I know it's moving at a rapid pace, um, and it's looking really, really good. Uh, but have you gotten to speak with James about the, the law and the, the carry through all 48? Uh, yes, I have. I spoke with him uh, probably the day before I first spoke with you all. Okay, great. Okay, well, when when did you first hear about how about uh, Mike's law? When did that come into your come to your attention? Uh, whenever I spoke with a lady by the name of Donna Cox, I'm sorry, Dorothy Cox, and she's a editor for the Truckers News. Right, that's where your article was. Well, actually, James contacted us and said that you know. Hey, this would be a great show. We can we can, you know, actually talk to someone who was actually in a situation where he, you know, was attacked. I mean, these things do happen. I know a lot of people don't want to admit that they happen, but they do happen. And um so yeah, well, I mean, Randy and the two, I mean, I, like I said earlier, I, I mean, I know you've always been a good Samaritan, but how 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 has that incident changed your actions of being a good Samaritan? How how has that changed you to that effect, if if at all? Oh, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, I still have flashbacks. I probably will the rest of my life. Um, I don't stop at late at nighttime anymore for anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm always on the lookout of what's going on around me. Uh, I find myself, if I am somewhere and, you know, it's a dark parking lot or something like that, not wanting to stay around there. I mean, you, I guess it'll always be there in the back of my mind. Always. Sure, of course. Well, is this going to be the next time or is this going to be the last time? Mm-hmm. Well, the um, I I found it fascinating too. I mean, your the you know the strength you showed throughout this. I mean, you were you were in a a wheelchair for four months. You were unable to work for eleven months, almost a year. Doctors doctors told you, uh, well, you'll never be able to walk again. And you looked them straight in the eye and just said, just watch me. So, <laughs> I mean, you 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 had it in your mind that you were going to walk, and you did, and you're and you're still driving. Well, they also said I would never w- work again, and I said, watch me. And I believe 
<laughs> whenever they told me I would never work again because I'm a workaholic. I've always worked my whole life. And it was more like, well, I'm back at work. What do you got to say about this now, doctor? Yeah, really? <laughs> well, you know, a lot. I mean, we are known for truth about trucking, you know, and we we, we kind of share the good and the bad in the trucking industry and everything, and sometimes we get on the motor carriers, and sometimes we praise them too. And this is a good chance to, uh, you know, give a little uh, uh, thumbs up to uh, some of the motor carriers you were working with. I mean, when that incident happened, you were working, and this was from the uh, article from the trucker that Dorothy wrote. Uh, at the time it happened, you were working for uh, a company called Combined Transport, and uh, they really stood behind you this whole deal. I mean, they, they they really treated you well, and you ended up driving for them for another nine years. But they really they really stood behind you during what you were going through. Yes, yep, and I can't say anything bad about them. There's a, they're, they are a good company. They treated me like family, but uh, I can't get into those details. I don't think that it would be right, but it would just be – I thought that it would be in my best interest because as much as I was going to have to go to the doctor and if I'm still having to go to the doctor, it would be best if I just parted companies so I could be home more to go to the doctor because I have so much problems with my leg and my back from this injury. I'm getting old. I've been out here 39 years, and there is, I've seen a lot of good in the 39 years I've been driving a truck, and I've seen a lot of bad. But I have experienced in the past years more good than I have bad. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's good to hear. And, you know, you drive now. I don't know did you, if you wanted to mention who you drive for now. I'll just leave that up to you. But they also... Um, uh, appear, you know, seem to be a very good company. They they work with you, so you can make your doctor appointments, which you say are numerous. So I wanted to get a little bit more into that. But the company you're with now uh, is is uh, a very good company, working with you and everything. But you say that you have to go to, uh, you have to have checkups every two months, and sometimes the pain is still pretty unbearable. Tell us, uh, tell us about that. What uh, what you're still having to go through, and how your you know your company even now is still working with you very well. Well, basically, uh, about every eight to ten months, and I did not know this. I thought if your nerves were damaged, your nerves was damaged. Evidently, your nerves eventually grow back together, which causes pain. And at least once a month, I mean, I'm sorry, once a year, they schedule me for what's called an RFI procedure, which is radio frequency injections. Mm -hmm. They put me on the operating table, put me to sleep. They stick um, six needles in my spine, which is steroids, and then they go in there with some type of laser technology. I really don't know what it is, but it burns the nerves to deal with my pain so I can keep on working. The numbness is always going to be there. I'll never get off my feeling back. But basically, whenever they burn the nerves, it just keeps me where I can keep on working, where I don't get addicted to painkillers. I was just going to say, that's an alternative to uh, 
to painkillers because it would be very easy in the condition you're in uh, just to be addicted to them. I mean, that would be your way of life. And I know when I take one, I'm all kind of goofy, you know. I mean, it's it's hard to even concentrate, let alone drive a drive a truck. So well, um, I don't I don't have to take a painkiller to be goofy. <laughs> well, I guess I don't either, but it makes me more goofy. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you know, as, as this um, as this bill, you know, drawn up by James Lamb, gets closer to Congress, and I think the legislative draft was called Americans Working in Interstate Commerce Protection Act of 2014. What what would you say if you had the opportunity to stand before Congress? What what would you say to them, to Congress? Uh, for the enactment of this uh, bill, Mike's Law, to go into to, to go into actual law? Well, I really haven't given that much thought, to be honest with you. I know mm-hmm. one thing it would give, not just me, but I'm sure a lot of drivers out there, peace of mind knowing that they do have a legal way to keep themselves and to protect themselves and be safe without having to be a criminal by carrying a firearm illegal. What, uh, because, what would you, you know, s- we want to come back to our family. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and you know, you, you have these people, you, and this statement has been made to me before. Well, you're driving a commercial vehicle. Um it shouldn't be in any type of commercial vehicle. Well, that's true. I am driving a commercial vehicle, and everybody else, truck drivers out there, is buying a commercial vehicle. But do they ever say anything to these um, people and these campers? Or how about the criminals? How come they don't really go out after the criminals? Why are they always down on the truck drivers? And it's not just the state that I live in. But every state, every province of Canada is down on the truck drivers ten times more than they are now. All you ever see is bad things about trucking and truck drivers. You really never see anything good about us, not like it used to be years ago. I remember years ago, uh, you took a truck just for an example. He was broke down on the side of the road or somebody was broke down on the side of the road, you might be six, see six, seven, ten trucks on the side of the road helping that person. Do you see it nowadays? No, because there's so many changes in in there. I have experienced this myself, where I would be, years ago, we changed our own tires. Yeah. I remember if you didn't have a tire, somebody would stop. They would give you your tire, just an example, and then, follow you to the truck stop to get you off the road where you could buy you a tire and then you'd give that tire back to the person that gave it to you. Do you see anything like that? No. No. Yeah, I, I hear you. See the same thing. What would you what would you say to drivers who uh who look at this law as well, there's already too many guns out there, you know, we don't need to fill every truck with a gun. It just you know, you got you got the you know you do have the drivers out there who you know heated heated arguments take place in truck stops, rest areas, and you know might get a little too heated, and somebody you know 
pull that firearm and something bad happened? I mean, what would you say to drivers who are worried about that aspect of the law where, you know, the, the hotheads out there and the arguments and everything that take place and road rage and that kind of thing? Well, the basic thing is that is they're basically radio Rambos. And basically what I mean by that, whenever they get arguing on that, they're just venting. And 99.9% of the time, the first person that's yelling is that is is scared, and the second one is glad that he is because they're not going to stop. And besides that, if that's actually what was going on, look how many truck drivers is out here right now carrying illegal. Do you see shootings going on in state to state every night in truck stops? No, you do not. No, and that's just it. It, it, This would make what they're, uh, I mean, even though they're legal, a lot of times, you know, with all the reciprocity laws between the states, it's very difficult, especially when you go up into on the northeast. And I'm sure James is going to get into that when he comes on. But uh, th- that's really what it's going to help is what good is your gun if it's, you know, one part's one part of the truck and one's another part. Um, and a lot of a lot of drivers do keep it all together. I mean, they don't go through all that because they're not going to take a chance. And this would just make them legal. They can that they can legally uh do it and they don't have to, you know, worry uh if they worry at all. I wonder sometimes, you know, a lot of them have the a- attitude of, "Oh, I don't care. I'm out here and, you know, I'll take my chances of getting caught." But uh, if you are caught in New York state or New Jersey or or one of those states, it's it's a pretty big deal. So um, yeah, because not all states, you know, recognize that uh, that permit. So, hey, caller, area code seven zero one, North Dakota. Welcome to the show. Hey guys. Hey Deb, how's it going? It's going fine. I was just listening. So I think oh, okay. you're absolutely right. Every trucker out here deserves a gun in their truck, and I think that's okay. a great idea. I cannot wait. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, you had your hand up, so I thought you were. Um, oh, that's fine. Anyway, no. so okay. No, I so, think it's so a you're... great idea. So uh-huh. I don't know who's going to insure people, and then I don't know if somebody does get hurt out here. God forbid, if somebody accidentally gets shot in the truck stop or something, how are you going to explain that to somebody's kid who's whose brilliant idea this was, but we have a right to protect ourselves no matter what. We are the most important thing out here because we move the Well, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing, okay? Most people are carrying anyway, okay, uh, that, you know, that are going to carry. They're going to carry, all right? They don't advertise it. They don't put a sign on their truck because of all the different laws from the different states, and they don't want to take the chance to get caught. Uh, number two is they, they have their permits. Uh, they just have to abide by each different state. And what, so this will what make this, it so the rest of us can get it, right? Well, no, you still have to go through the process. In other words, right. you still have to go through the yeah. permit right. and you have to um, But if we have the that whole... permit to carry concealed, like if I have my permit in Florida, Jeff has his in Texas, we'll be able to carry in our trucks, right? Well, you you can carry in your trucks anyway with a permit. You just have to abide. There is no law that says you cannot carry in your truck, not on the FMCSA, not anywhere. 
okay? So it, that's what I'm saying. If, if people get caught with a gun in their truck, it's not illegal. It depends on the state you're in, whether they recognize so the, the, the state your so permit is from. This would make, in other words, what it does is it recognizes your permit from Florida with all 48 states. It, it's states making it a universe. You, you still have to, have to abide by it. Hey, Debbie. Yeah, the states have to abide by it, though, right? Like New York would have to honor Florida and Texas. Yes. Minnesota right. yes. would have to honor California. Right. Alaska right. would That's... have to honor. Yeah. Right. It would, yeah, all it would be honored by all states. So, hey, Randy, you wanted to say something to Deb? Uh, yes. Basically, what it boils down to, let me put it in this scenario, like West Virginia. I have a permit from the state of West Virginia. I'm going to use California as an example. Whenever I go in the state of California, I have to unload my gun. I have I have to keep my shells or my clip. I've got a 9 millimeter. I keep my clip locked up in my glove box, and my firearm has to stay locked up in a separate box like a strong box right. in my side compartment out of my reach. That is considered by California law, to transport a firearm. Right. But what the law that we're trying to get passed is, I would not have to do that. I could keep it loaded. So if I would run into a situation which, heaven bid, I hope that it never happens in my lifetime, but if I would run into a situation, my firearm would be loaded and I could protect myself or if my wife was with me, I could protect my wife because my wife will go with me every now and then. Well, like I said, I think it's a great idea because we're all going to be able to do this now. There will be no questions asked. Right. And, I mean, um, you do it anyway. Now it's just a matter of the states recognizing. Well, I don't do it. But well, I mean, I've if you did do it. I've never seen a need for it. Yeah, I've never seen a need for it. So. Okay, but the, the, that's what it would be. Yeah, but for those who who uh, you know wanted to, this is what it would be. So, hey, let's take a quick break, and we'll bring uh, James Lamb on, and we'll uh, catch up on what is actually happening with Mike's Law. So, two minute quick break, and we'll be right back. So, hang with us. You're listening to Truth About Trucking live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Truckers, are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with the Truth About Trucking Live, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas, but they never work for trucking companies. 
TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website TruckerLawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash trucker lawyers and follow them on Twitter as at trucker lawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. And when you call truckerlawyers.com, be sure to mention that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. There's a lot of copycats out there, but you know, there's only one Truth About Trucking Live. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. We're talking to uh, professional trucker Randy Tomlin. And, uh, hey, James, I think you are up now. You've kind of heard uh, heard Randy telling his story personally and um, his his reasons for Mike's Law. I mean, this uh, his story gives a good... Uh, a, a good reason to back uh, what you've been trying to do with this uh, legislation. Yes, sir. Uh, good evening to you all, and uh, and happy holidays to start off with. Yeah, you too. Yeah, um, and I, I got to say, you know, I have been listening, and man, I have to applaud the courage of Randy coming on your show and telling the entire industry here because we're going to disseminate this link big time after the fact, and and this is going to be a lot more widespread audience that you have uh, on the line right now. And uh, i got to tell you, um, I'm very proud to to see someone like this come on the show and share his personal experience and and give us, you know, the the real background and the the actual ammunition, if you will, for for us to actually move forward in Congress and uh, and ask them to support Mike's law. So, So I have to thank him for coming on the show. Oh, absolutely! Hey, give us an update, James. What? Where? Where are we now? And uh, uh, you know, and and the naysayers. You know, we we need to address some of these issues that people have. Uh, you know, even even if they don't call in with them, I like to address them prior to. So, but anyway, if you could just just let us know where are we right now. Well, you know, we're uh, as far as Washington goes, we're at the uh, end of the Congress here. So, you know, we're looking at the legislation, Mike's Law, uh, being introduced sometime in 2015. Uh, we do have what we believe is a uh, sponsor in the Senate, and we are just kind of uh, firming up uh, some uh, folks that are in the House, and we're hoping to get them to uh, to sign on. I got to tell you that, you know, politics is what it is, and Unfortunately, uh, as we have been releasing information about who is supportive of Mike's law, uh, some of the folks on the other side are using that information, and, and they're trying to kill the bill uh, before it's uh, it's even introduced. So I guess we're kind of uh, starting to rethink about exactly how much information we release publicly uh, for the benefit of you know getting the law passed. So uh, mm-hmm. we're going to kind of clam up, I guess, as far as names of members of Congress at, at the moment. But I can tell you okay. that I did, I did speak with uh, with the NRA today. I had a, an interesting chat with them, and and uh, you know they have um, another uh, proposed bill that uh, they tried to get passed 
Congress once before, and uh, I think it passed the House, if I remember. And uh, now they think, um, you know, now that there's going to be a Republican uh, control on both the House and the Senate moving forward in, in 2015, they're attempting to move forward with their bill. And that bill is uh, basically a true reciprocity bill. And so, you know, what, what they mean by that is that they want a federal law that will basically require all of the states to accept a gun permit that's issued by another state. Uh, It's unclear to me exactly what the basis is for them passing a federal law um, to to basically force some of the states that don't want to do that now into doing that. And, in fact, uh, you know, a lot of the folks, especially on Facebook over the last week, uh, boy, have I been uh, getting slammed by the, uh, the, you know, the gun control side. Um, A lot of folks are saying, well, you know, what about the Tenth Amendment? And, of course, you know, the Tenth Amendment basically is what sets up our system of federalism to an extent and basically, you know, has to do with states' rights. And so, you know, the thought here is um, it's unclear what the basis is for the NRA to try to push its bill at the federal level to require, let's say, a state like you mentioned, Donna, New York or New Jersey, into accepting, let's say, the state of Florida's permit. Uh, our bill is a little bit different. Ours is, um, is solely based on the Commerce Clause of the federal government, and we don't believe that it has anything to do with states' rights because it's in furtherance of the federal government's existing power to already regulate interstate commerce. And so what we're basically asking for is legislation in a very limited capacity that would allow the uh, folks that work in interstate transportation to uh, allow, allow them to uh, actually carry while they're on the job, concealed, uh, have, a, have a weapon readily accessible. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we really should make sure that we're clear on and that we kind of help truckers understand, there is a big difference between the word carry and the word transport or the word uh, possess. You know, these are all words that have very specific legal distinctions in most state laws. And so a lot of people are um, are kind of like throwing those terms around. Um, whereas there's, you know, nothing wrong with transporting a firearm as long as it's not loaded and it's locked up. And, and I think, you know, some people were talking about that earlier. Um, this has to do with the word carry, meaning you're going to possess the firearm in such a way that it is readily accessible to you, loaded and, um, you know, ultimately available to you in a, you know, uh, spontaneous spot of the, the moment kind of a deadly physical force scenario. So if someone's pointing a gun at you, you can grab your firearm, it's ready to go, and, and of course the idea is for you to shoot first before they get you. So, you know, that's that's really what we're talking about here. We're, we're chatting with the NRA and we're trying to kind of convince them that, you know, our law is based on the um, Interstate Commerce Clause or the Commerce Clause Interstate Transportation. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to get on the same page. And I think, you know, we're all, for all intents and purposes in this, um, advocates of folks having guns, it's just a matter of, you know, to what extent and 
Of course, they're trying to think more broadly in terms of their average members. But, you know, what we're talking about is a special, unique permit above and beyond what the states issue. Uh, and it, it's regardless of what, whether there's, you know, actual reciprocity. And our permit would be for anyone involved in transportation. Now, that's not just truckers. That could be bus drivers. It could be, you know, a whole bunch of different folks, door-to-door salesmen. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to get to this point where, you know, we're helping folks understand. You know, I threw out on, on Facebook um, one of the, the folks, one of the folks in, um, you know, on the other side, the gun control folks, and, uh, and I said, do you know that we're talking about a law named after Michael Bagelin, who was killed this June in Detroit, interstate trucker, but do you know that 561 other workers in the transportation industry were murdered, some of them by guns, some of them by other means, but they were murdered while in the capacity of working in transportation over the last 10 years. That's a lot of people. And, and that doesn't come into play with the people like Randy who almost were murdered or were, you know, uh, attempted murder. So there's a lot of Americans that are out there that are doing business and working hard and trying to come home to their families, people like Randy, Mike Baglin, Jason Rivenberg, and, uh, and these folks deserve this level of protection. So that's kind of, you know, where, where we're going with this. So the difference then between the NRA bill is that theirs is just um, everybody. Every, you know, there's no limit. If you have a permit, then you can uh, apply for a, a federal permit and then go from state to state. So it actually, it does infringe on the Tenth Amendment in a way for, well, for them. No is that correct? Under theirs, Donna, there's no federal permit. So what they're saying is that there will be a federal law that will say that if one state issues a permit, every other state has to accept that permit. So what it does is it basically forces a state like New York, which might uh, usually deny a certain person for a firearm based on their own unique qualifications and restrictions, um, it, would re- re- it would force them to allow that same person who happens to live in Florida and got a Florida permit under a more lax registration requirements um, for them to be allowed to to carry in in um, in New York and so yeah it it does violate the um, you know the the 10th amendment in that respect and uh, it's unclear what the basis the legal basis is for the federal government to make such a law so you know I'm I, I'm concerned about I, I love the idea but I'm concerned about the other side saying well that's illegal for you to pass a law like that. And, of course, that's the kind of thing that would get challenged in the Supreme Court and, you know, ultimately could get thrown out. Ours is legal. Ours is perfectly legal. It's limited to, you know, the people that are working in, quote, interstate commerce. But it's not a violation of the Tenth Amendment by any interpretation because it's based on the Commerce Clause. And the Commerce Clause is specific to federal authority. So, you know, we think that ours has a better shot and is more, you know, grounded in law and, you know, legality uh, than theirs. But, you know, they just want to do theirs because theirs is theirs is more broad. It would affect more, you know, gun advocates. So it, it's and kind you, of a, a tough one. You know? Well, you know, and, and here's here's the one I want to address. I think people who are for it, they're really for it, and people who are skeptical – are worried that there would, you know, well, there's going to be some kind of rage that it's going to be 
much, uh, much easier if this law was passed for truckers to get guns. My reaction to that, and tell me if I'm wrong, is, A, first of all, you would need to have your permit anyway to carry. So if you're carrying now, you need a permit from whatever state, and now you have to accept the reciprocity laws from each state. And hopefully, you know, you're doing that, and if not, that's, you know, your business. But what what this would do is, and this is the part that I think, if you do go for the federal permit that would allow you to carry through all 48, I would think that it would be much tougher to get a permit, that type of permit at this point, um, because some of the permits in the states are quite easy to get. I mean, you really don't have to do much of anything, but I think there would be much of a background check. So in my opinion, it it would be more difficult. Now, I mean, am I wrong in thinking that way, James? I mean, because they're they're really fearful that this was going to be a free for all. You you pick up your CDL license, and okay, here's your per, here's your CDL license. Now here's your gun. Okay, I mean, yeah. it, really. No, that that you know, I have to laugh because I don't know if you're following any of the discussions that I'm having with uh, one of the gun control guys, uh, Tim Brady, on the other side. Um, on Facebook, and it's been rather heated over the last uh, 48 hours or so. But, um, you know, you know, w- one of the things that I said to him was, look, I said, no one is talking about us putting these federal permits in a vending machine, you know, along with uh, buy a permit and get a gun at a truck stop. You know, that's not right. <laughs> you know, we're not saying put, you know, in a dollar twenty-five in and you know, like a pack of cigarettes, whatever those cost these days. But uh probably four fifty or five dollars, I don't even know. But uh, you know what I'm saying. I mean this is not you're not buying some Doritos here, you know. So so what we're talking about is a very specific program that Congress would enable, and you know, we call this enabling legislation. So Congress would say we're giving the uh the agency that's charged with implementing this, the the ATF, Federal Firearms Agency, uh, we're telling you you have to do this, and we're telling you here's how you have to do this. Very general, basic guidelines. And, you know, the first the first draft of the law that I wrote is, you know, it's, it's just that. It's the first draft. It's subject to, you know, us chatting about it and thinking about all the different considerations and amending it. But, you know, but the, the first draft, it doesn't give specific details as far as how ATF has to do this, but it says, well, let's think of, you know, the general guidelines. So there should be a vetting process. We should decide, you know, who should have a gun and who shouldn't have a gun. And that's in the context not of, like, the Second Amendment and, you know, that kind of stuff, but it's in the context of being reasonable. Should we give, you know, people who just got out of uh, prison for felonies who happen to get a trucking job a gun? Mm, Probably not, right? And people who have been deemed as mentally unfit and, you know, incapacitated, should we be giving them guns? Well, probably not. You know, if you have a violent history, you've broken the law, those are not the people that we probably want to have guns under the federal pr- program, and so the, the ATF would vet those people out. Now, if you're a good, law-abiding, outstanding or upstanding uh, American citizen, and all you want to do is just go to work and make sure you don't get killed on the side of the road, well, then you probably should have a firearm or have access to one if you want to uh, under your Second Amendment rights. So, Well, don't you, know, you think, though, James, that it's going to be more difficult 
to to get the federal permit than the state? I mean, some of these state permits are are quite easy to get. Uh, am, am I right? Well, yeah, it depends on the state. So if you say to me, you know, would it be uh, the federal program be more difficult than the state of Texas or Florida? Probably. Would it be more difficult than the state of New York? I don't know about that. You know, probably not. So it all depends on which state that we're talking about as to how, you know, we answer that question. Well, I guess you could assume then that it's going to be as difficult as the most difficult state that there is right now. Uh, I I mean, I, I just can't see a federal permit being a, a, as easy as as uh yeah. Florida or Texas or or somewhere cuz it's pretty easy to get a permit down here I got to uh, say I'm sure I'm sure the stipulations for a federal permit will be much tougher but hey Randy how you doing on time you still hanging with us Yeah I'm still hanging here What do you think of uh so far uh, you know what what we've been you know hearing from James and everything any comments um, no, the only thing I can really say, I, I know that there will probably be a lot of people think, well, if we get a federal permit, you know, we don't want the government to have our information. Well, believe it or not, the government already has your information. If you was in the military, whether you be male or female, your government had all your information as soon as you went to boot camp. When they fingerprinted you, whether you was... 17, 18, 19 years old, and it doesn't matter what branch of the military you've been. They've got your information from the IRS when you do your taxes every year. So the federal government already has your information. But me, myself, even even if it would go into effect from the, get a federal, and I'm not saying that it will happen, but if it would be a federal permit from the ATF, just an example, me, myself, and I'm sure that there's a lot of other truck drivers out there, too, would be willing to pay that extra money knowing that they're law-abiding citizens and that they know that they're going to be safe and be able to have a good chance of returning home safe to protect themselves. Yeah, I agree, too. I mean, you know, and, you know, you make a good point that they already have your information. I mean, a hazmat, if you have a TWIC card, you know, that that's FBI check. They already have that information anyway. But good point, Randy, just um, just having the peace of mind, you know. I mean, even if they're going across state lines now with a permit, even without a permit, just the peace of mind of knowing, okay, I am federally, legally you know, in my rights and, you know, legal to cross, you know, all 48 states. That's just peace of mind itself. So, Well, now you're still going to have to abide by the company rules if you're a, if you're a company driver and they don't allow firearms um, and you still, you know, choose to carry. You're, I mean, they could still fire you. This isn't going to eliminate a, any of that. It's not going to eliminate any company policy. I mean, right. I mean no, the company no, still no. has its policy. That's um, the We're other not question. To eliminate huh? company policies. We're trying to eliminate state policies from saying that right. we can't do this and we can't do that. Right. I have a question for James. Um, yeah. It says, um, I'm reading it. Deb sent me a private message and it says, Will the insurance companies uh, be forced to insure us? And I, I, I'm not really sure what that means, but maybe you can answer it. 
Yeah, and in fact, you know, one of the one of the people on Facebook, um, I don't think it was her, but uh, somebody recently brought that up, you know, and basically said the insurance lobby would would kill this and and make sure that this doesn't happen. Well, well, that's not necessarily true because there is actually a separate type of insurance for this type of risk exposure, and it's called workplace violence insurance. So the insurance companies would probably say, hey, this is an opportunity for us to sell more insurance. So this is a good thing because now we'll sell the normal property and casualty type of insurance for trucking, uh, commercial trucking liability insurance, bodily injury, property damage protection, cargo insurance. And now, look, we get to sell you know, the carriers a additional policy called workplace violence insurance to make sure that you know, those folks that have guns in your truck, if you have that kind of a, a policy that you're going to allow it, then you can be insured against, uh, you know, mitigate, mitigating um, factors. And you can, you can have um, confidence that uh, your risk exposure is covered. So there's ways around all of this stuff. You know, th- this can be done, and, and this is viable, and there's no, no reason why, you know, we can't set this up so that, you know, it's, it's a, a way for folks to be safe while they're in the truck. You know, one of the things, let me just add, uh, uh, Donna, that one of the things that we brought up in the discussion with the NRA today was we said, look, you know, we talk about the Tenth Amendment, and that amendment has to do with, like I said, state rights. And we talk about the Second Amendment. We all know that that's about gun rights. Well, there's also the Fourteenth Amendment. And the Fourteenth Amendment says that American citizens are entitled to equal protection under the law. And I said to the guy at the NRA today, I said, you know, I don't know about you, but I live in a house. I live in a building. And in my building, I happen to own four guns. And they are, you know, locked away in a safe place, and, but they're readily accessible in the event that I need them. And I said, there's no reason why a trucker who basically is transient and has to live on the road, you know, at certain times during the month and sleeps in his bunker, there's no reason why he should be deprived of equal protection under the law and we shouldn't tolerate those states who deny him that protection by not allowing him to have a firearm where he sleeps or she sleeps. And the NRA said, well, you know, that's a good point. And, you know, they said, we're going to have to talk about that and think about that. Because this is a very unique situation in, in trucking because of the distance that's involved in doing the job. You're going to go from, you know, New York to California, and you can't get home, you know, within eight hours you know, of, of working. So, because of that unique circumstance, we believe that there needs to be a unique permit for those folks that are in that business that ensures that they, they do have equal protection under the law. And we're talking about protection of life. We're talking about people like Mike Baglin, you know, and, uh, and Randy, you know, having these horrible things happen to them. Um, and, and, you know, we can, we can prevent that by enabling them to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Well, let, let me ask you, James. Uh, Heather in the um, in the chat room has a question for you. She's wanting to know what stipulations uh, do you think should be in place uh, for somebody's options to carry a firearm? Well, uh, that's a very broad question, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer it based on that. Um, I'm not sure if I'm gra- you know getting the gist of of exactly what she's saying, but I can tell you that, you know, in terms of the the specifications that we envision in creating this bill that we hope becomes law, you know, we're basically saying that the folks should be vetted at the federal process 
and there should be requirements in terms of training. You know, somebody in, in, on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago said, you know, well, uh, you know, we don't want untrained people to have guns. And I said, well, I agree with you. I said, we should have a federal permit that requires that you go through certain training. And then the person said, but we can't have untrained people, you know, not ha- uh, having guns. And I said, did you not just hear what I said? You know, we're, we, put, we put in the law. It, it's part of the process. So, you know, we're not saying that we're going to do something uh, reckless. And, you know, it, it's funny because uh, somebody posted a road rage article uh, from like three or four days ago where a trucker, you know, did something and, and uh, there was some kind of violence involved. And, um, and, I, and I said to myself as I was reading and I said, okay, I said, let me think randomly of a, a, an occupation. And the first thing that popped into my head was dentist. A buddy of mine is a dentist, and so I, I came up with that. And I said to myself, self, what if you go ahead onto Google and you just randomly type in dentist road rage? Let's see if anything comes up. And lo and behold, an article came up about a guy in New York who was upset about a parking uh, spot, and there was violence by the dentist. You know, So you can't say truckers are a unique group of, of Americans that are you know, more – uh, apt to be violent than anybody else. I mean, people are just people, and it doesn't matter whether you're a trucker or not. So, you know, there are going to be people who are going to do stupid things. Can we control for the exceptions, you know, and, and, and basically for, for criminal activity? No. You know, if a trucker wants to go off or a dentist or whomever, and they want to do something stupid rage, it doesn't matter if they have a gun or a tire iron or, you know, a switchblade knife, they're going to ultimately do something stupid. So, you know, I, I think that we've, we've uh, tried to do this as responsibly as we can, and, you know, and, and we think it's a well-thought-out basic draft of, of the law, and, and we're hoping that, uh, you know, that, that they go with it. I just had a message from Adabel H. Rodriguez here. Uh-huh. She's listening. Hello. Yes, and she wants to let everyone know she can't call in. Uh, she's not in a position to call in right now. Um, she, she can only listen. Uh, however, she wants to know, and her comment was, I want to read it to you. Uh, uh, mention my name as an advocate, and I dare anyone to try to change my mind. Now, I know she's a, um, she's in the, the federal government somehow. I, I can't remember. I'm looking at her Facebook page, and I on the About page it doesn't say, um, but but she is a representative somewhere. Right, she's James. A, you've a, met her. Yeah. Oh, I I know Adabel, and um, you know, and Adabel is my friend. And uh, you know, some of the people uh, that are gun control advocates are no Adabel. I'll tell you that. But uh, <laughs> she's a city council, city council person um, in a suburb of Dallas. Yeah. Okay, city council. There she is. She's she's letting me know. City council of uh, Cockrell Hill, Texas. Cockrell Hill. I don't have my glasses on. I'm really probably messing this up bad. But <laughs> all right, well, James. So pretty much that's uh, pretty much up to steam where we're at on. Uh, on I have one more Mike's question. Law. I have one more question for him that came in. Um, um, the number of 561 deaths, and that of course that didn't include. That's not attacks. These are just people that were actually killed. Um, they want to know. Can you share where you got that number from? Sure, that comes from um, the government agency BLS, and it's basically uh, kind of like occupational health and safety data. 
and so the government can you know actually uh, keeps tabs on on these incidents. I believe the data, the raw data, comes from the uniform crime reports that the FBI puts out, and then DLS kind of uh, looks at it in the capacity of who was murdered on the job, you know, who was murdered, and then they they kind of go by different category. How many were dentists? How many worked in transportation? So when we looked at the last ten years worth of data from these reports. And you, know, you can do BLS uh, murder statistics on Google, and, and the same thing will, will come up. We saw 561 people were murdered, not attacked, but actually killed while working in, in transportation. Okay, and and that's the last 10 years, so that's roughly 56 people a year. Um, uh, all right, hey, let's grab a caller from uh, Arkansas, area code 479. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. Celeste Willis. Um, hey, hey Les, how going? are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're welcome. I just wanted to, uh, my condolences to uh, Randy Tomlin. Uh, that's a bad deal. Um, not only have you turned from a good Samaritan, you, you've turned into a passerby now in certain situations. Um, too bad that they haven't caught those people. Um uh, yeah, I had been following uh, Randy's story uh, from the 1999 death of his uh, one of his children to the 2006 uh, gun uh, gun down on the side of the road to what was it five or seven months later he lost his house to a fire and so uh, basically it was yeah maybe Randy don't buy don't buy a lottery ticket or so. <laughs> But that's just a you know that's a that's a bad deal. Uh, to Mister, right, <laughs> well maybe it's time. Um, yeah, um, to Mister Lamb on your on your uh, on your statement of the 561 transportation workers, I want to dig a little bit more into that. Of the 561, you say are in transportation. Of the 561, how many were drivers? I don't have that readily available. I don't have that, you know, at my fingertips. But there is a way for you to go into the the same reports that we did, and you can you can break it down. Uh, I can tell you that we use the, the the entire transportation category because I am chairman of a group called the small the um, SBTC, so the Small Business and Transportation Coalition. It's not small business and trucking, it's the more broad category. So we're basically saying, you know, of the 561, there are truckers involved there, but don't the other ones, don't the other ones count is basically the message that we have, you know, for, for everyone. So we think they do. Okay. So it could be a warehouse worker that's working on a dock, what have you, that was gunned down or, or murdered while they were on a job, and it doesn't necessarily break it out as far as an actual driver. Is that correct, or am I following you right there? That is right. We are not saying that it's 561 okay. drivers. We're saying 561 Americans that are working in the category of transportation, you know, as defined by this BLS uh, government group. Right. I'm curious, Les, let me ask you a question. Are you for this or against it? I'm on the fence about it. I, I am all for one being able to protect yourself, um, but when you see the um, mentality of some of these drivers that actually 
have have a CDL and they're driving down the road, um, my goodness, wouldn't you want to have some type of uh, psychological evaluation? I mean, you're talking about a federal permit that's recognized by all 50 states. Uh, I would think that the vetting process for anybody to obtain that type of uh, permit would just be horrendous. Uh, you know, psychological studies, evaluations. I mean, I would be for it if, you know, depending on what the vetting process was, to just say, okay, we got a CDL and uh, you passed the CCW uh, permit in, in the state of Florida or Texas or, or New Mexico, what have you, that you're good to go. Um, no, I don't I, believe that's what it that. is, and James, James, tell me if I'm wrong, but the way I see it is if you have a permit in Florida and how easy it is to get one in Florida, and if you want to get the federal permit, you don't automatically transition into a federal permit. You have to apply for an entirely new permit. Now, am I correct, James? It it doesn't mean that your permit in your state transitions you. You have to go through the additional vetting process. A whole new process. And that's why I said it would actually be a much more stricter, you know, more control. I mean, what you're saying is true. And a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't know to what extent, but it's true. And the, the permits they carry now could be quite easily obtained. However, a federal permit could be a whole new ball of wax. So, um, James, am I correct that it's a it's a whole new application? It, it's not a transition. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think the best way to think about this is in terms of like. Um, you know, operating authority for uh, for independent truckers. So there's a federal operating authority, right, to go from state to state. You get an MC number. And then if you're going to operate point to point within a state, then you have to have a state authority if that state has chosen to regulate. And then the other way to think about it is based on citizen versus worker. So in other words, um, you know, you would have your citizen, a regular average state citizen permit, that entitles you to carry in accordance with your state's law. And then in addition to that, you would apply separately for a federal permit that you would qualify for on the basis of your occupation, being someone who goes from state to state on on the job, basically. And you would have to then satisfy whatever the federal vetting process is and the requirements to, you know, to uh, obtain a federal license. And if you fail that, then I guess you still keep your state permit, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, unless there's some kind of a referral system that they then develop, where they would say they found someone psychologically, you know, unstable or something, and and then they wanted to report that to the state, and then the state would then have the ability to, you know, to, to revoke the, you know, the state permit if necessary. But you know, we're not asking for that that level of uh, oversight. That's why I thought it was even going to be stricter. I mean. I think I think the fears on one end, you know, are, are probably um, actually it, it could be more on the other end that, that you could have your permit perhaps uh, removed if people find that you, uh, you know, have a, a record or, or a problem with even carrying a gun. I mean, at that point, you could actually get people um, that you didn't have for this actually 
you know, supporting it. Yeah, I, I mean, what I, I think the, I think the way to to look at it is that um, you know, anytime Congress is going to start tinkering with things that you know uh, require a lot of expertise and um, in-depth knowledge, they have to rely on the administrative agency that has that expertise. So, you know, basically saying, here's what we want you to do, we're requiring that you do it, namely create this program for business carry for interstate workers, and here's what we require that, you know, uh, that you satisfy to a minimum of vetting process and requirements and, you know, training for someone who's going to be eligible to get the permit. But filling in the blanks or the details, that's really going to be up to the administrative level. And there is going to be a process, a rulemaking process that they will then go through to actually put this, you know, on paper. And then the public will have opportunity to know about that uh, proposed rule and the details and uh, be able to comment in favor of or in opposition to. And then the agency will, you know, look at those comments and they'll, again, use their expertise and knowledge and they'll say, here's, you know, exactly how the uh, the permitting process is going to work and, and here's the application and here's the instructions and here's what you have to go through to get the, the license. Uh, all right. Hey, Randy, just going to get you to jump in here. Any thoughts on any of the comments? Uh, no, but my company's trying to call me, so I'm going to have to go. Okay, okay, I, I wanted to pull you up because I knew, but hey, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Okay, and I appreciate it. Mr. Lamb, I look forward to talking to you in the future. Yes, sir, Merry Christmas to you. Okay, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. You too, Randy. Me. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And uh, Hey, Les, did that, did that um, answer your, your questions or make it a little more clear? Uh, I mean, in a way, it does. But until the, until it's put out that the what type of vetting process that they are actually going to use, that someone would have to qualify for for a federal permit, I'm on the fence. So I'm either okay. for it nor against it. But until you know, until somebody says, okay, this is the vetting process, or this is what you actually have to go through to obtain. Now, trust me, I do think that. You should have the uh, the right to obtain a federal permit. I, I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm not for it unless the vetting process is so strict. It's kind of like the coal companies. You know, you can go out there and you can make coal, and they they've been doing it forever. And then all of a sudden, regulation comes in. You can still do your coal factory, but we're going to make it so hard on you to obtain that type of license. Um, that it's going to put you out of business. So basically that's, you know, is it going to be so stringent that you're not going to be able to afford to do it, or is it going to be n not as stringent and everybody's going to do it? So that that's why I'm on the fence about uh, about the whole thing. I'm not on the fence that you, that you should be able to carry. Uh, I think that there should be a law that says, okay, to get rid of the reciprocity laws uh, and the states not acknowledging other states, I think you have to go to the federal level. But um, for the federal permit, I don't know. I'm, I'm just I don't know enough about it. But it scares the hell out of me to think that some guy that I just seen rolling down the road because I know a lot of people that have a CCW on a state issue, and some of them I wouldn't trust a gun, no way in the world. You know, I mean, well, I mean, some of them are just 
They get drunk, they get crazy, blah, blah, blah. The next thing you know, and they each one of them has a CCW. So I mean, I, 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 I understand. About this. <clears throat> oh, I was just going to say, I understand. What anybody has to say. I understand what you're saying, Les. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, let, let's, let's, we have to pass the bill just so we can see what's in it. Exactly. I mean, and, but, but you know, but but James, this isn't something that's going to just all of a sudden happen overnight. I mean, it's going to there's going to be a lot of, um, uh, I mean, the points that Les make, they're going there's going to be a lot of consideration into the even you said you know the the rewriting of the bill and you know getting it down. I mean, it's not anything that's going to happen overnight. I mean the 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 policies and the procedures that people are going to have to go through to have this federal permit. That's all going to have to be written, and so it, this isn't something that's just, you know, going to, boom, be there one day. That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this is one of those things where you, you have to look at it as um, it's kind of like a cart before the horse kind of a thing. You can't expect the details to, to come out until the law is passed and then the agency is told to make the, the details. So, you know, it, it's kind of unclear exactly what we're going to wind up with, but, you know, we have a model here and we have a, a basic concept, and, and it's really about, you know, this whole thing unfolding as we go, and people will have the opportunity to have input into this during a public notice and comment period where they can help shape the final product. So people like Les that's on the fence, you know, the first step is, do we give the agency the responsibility of doing this? you know, yes or no, and of course, you know, we're arguing yes, so, you know, we would say vote for the bill if you could, uh, and the second thing is then when we get to the agency level, now let's talk about exactly what's going to be in there, you know, because you can't put all the details in the law. That's why we have rules and regulations, because they are an extension of the law, and that's where you find the details. I think a lot of people aren't aren't going to... Um past those, I mean, this is just my gut feeling, that it is going to be much stricter than the state. So like Les was saying, he knows guys with, you know, a state, uh, on the state level permit, and he's not comfortable with them. Um, I feel that uh, on the federal level, it's it's going to be a whole different ball game. And that, that's not to say that a lot of people aren't, aren't are just going to keep their state permit. So you're, it's not like you're going to get rid of those people. <laughs> They're still going to have their permit from their state. But if if you get one from the government and if it is done correctly and, you know, with with um, stri- a strict process involved and a, a really, really good vetting process in place, um, I think it's actually a more um, secure feeling to ha- to know that, that they, oh, I was able to get my federal, you know, permit. Then it's almost like a, okay, well, you must have a pretty good, you know, background and everything uh because you sure can't say that about a lot of states i mean realistic yeah go ahead Uh, i was going to say you know if we could add one thing to that i I mean part of this you know this is about protecting truckers the good truckers and so part of this is dealing with you know the concept of deterrence so number one if truckers are allowed to carry under a federal permit and it's reasonable to get, not too easy, not too tough, but, you know, a reasonable process, then the criminals are going to read about that, and they're going to, the ones that can read, will read about that, and they will then basically see that, you know, there are truckers that are armed now, and so that should deter a certain degree of, of crime, and then on the road rage, you know, hothead trucker side, 
them, them too are, are probably going to kind of think twice because they'll say, well, you know, if I go and wise off to that trucker at the pump, you know, he might have a gun on him because truckers can carry guns now. So maybe I should just kind of calm down and, and not, you know, engage in that type of aggressive behavior because, you know, I might get shot. You said, Donna, that, you know, a lot of truckers are out there, they're carrying illegal. That's true. They are. But they think that that's a big secret, and they think they're the only ones. You know, and and they don't they don't really think right now about how other truckers are probably doing the same thing. So that level of deterrence is not there now. But once a law gets passed and everybody knows that truckers can now carry lawfully in any state, then they might think twice about doing some of those stupid road rage things, and we might wind up actually having a safer industry out there uh, rather than than not. Right, and it could. I I do believe that um, in the state of Florida, there's certain very very uh low crime areas here and people people know that most of your people down here in in our area we're in a rural area everybody mm-hmm. has a gun so mm-hmm. i mean everybody meaning majority obviously not everybody uh so you know people do think twice before they're going to uh do anything in, in our area anyway i mean you agree alan i mean this is a really you know I, the the pickup trucks have the gun rack in the back, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I we'll just... like that in the, in the Bronx, though, right? What? I said, I bet you it's not like that in the Bronx, right? Oh, no. Bronx, right? Yeah, yeah, well, I guess they can have them in their homes. I'm, you know, I'm not sure about the laws in New York. Are you allowed to have a gun in your home? I think it's kind of tough to get to get an actual permit, even even for a premise license. From what I remember, I, I did, is not, not easy. Yeah. yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I remember hearing something like that. But, well, hey, James, appreciate you coming on and getting us all caught up to date and everything, and we'll just keep our eye on it. But, you know, in re, you know, realistically, something like this could be could still be years away from actually taking place and becoming law, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think we can yeah. we can get a bill passed in the next Congress, but is President Obama likely to sign something like this? Probably not. So it's probably two years away from becoming a law at a minimum, and then the rulemaking process, this could be five or six years down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking, just still still down there. But, hey, appreciate you coming on and uh, getting team. us all caught up to date. And, uh, hey, stay, Donna, you have uh, kind of watching the time here. I know um, – uh, Randy had to take off. Uh, you know, that's part of having a trucking show. You know, they're out there running and still trucking, still trying to do a show. But you've got some uh, announcements, right? Yes, I do have some announcements. Um, the first one I wanted to say is that, uh, as everybody knows, uh, the president signed the $1.1 trillion spending bill uh, that included the temporary rollback of the July 2013-34 hour restart. Um, let's see, the provisions in that, uh, it, well, actually what it got rid of was that 1 to 5 a.m. Uh, period where, you know, you couldn't drive or something like that. It still keeps, however, the 30-minute break, and everything else with HOS is still in place. You still, you know, have your 14-hour day and everything like that. So um, that did go through. That was uh, attached to that uh, that. $1.1 trillion spending bill. So they got it attached on that. So um, then we have, let's see, I'm looking at my notes, guys, so just bear with me. Another law that was passed it was a final rule today 
Um, dri oh, the driver vehicle inspection reports. Um, you don't have the rule went into effect today. Truck operators will still be required to perform post inspections, but if no issues are found, no report has to be submitted. Uh, drivers will also still be required to perform pre-trip inspections of their equipment, and carriers will also be required to review the reports and act on any deficiencies prior to dispatching uh, the truck. So uh, driver vehicle inspection reports where no defects have been found, um, they got rid of that. You don't have to hold on to those. Now the exciting stuff, uh, which I love to talk about, is the uh, North American Trucking Alerts, uh, founded by Alan, myself, Hal Kaya, John Burnett, and uh, in its in its second week, and our new goal is 200 members. So we're rolling right along in the group. Um, uh, all CDL drivers and family are free to sign up in the uh, month of December. And when you do sign up, you're uh, entered into a COBRA uh, drawing. Uh, we'll be giving away two prizes, uh, a CDR840 dash cam or a 29LXBTCB radio with Bluetooth. So we thank our friends over at COBRA Electronics. They've always been such supporters in the past, and they're continuing now. Uh, we'll probably um, announce those winners uh, in our next show because it is during the whole month of December. So it'll probably be January or if we have a show on the 30th, which we're kind of debating, we have to see what we're doing around there. We might be away. But uh, it, you will know and you, you will have your entry uh, in there just by becoming a member. You just go to NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com and, uh, and just sign up. It's that easy. Uh when you do sign up, we invite you to be part of the private forum. It's for members only. And there's quite a few great threads going on right now in there that you'll really enjoy. And like It is for members only, so it's more um, – it's not like a social media group. Uh, it's more like a social media secret group. A lot of people have these secret or closed groups where they can control – you know, the content and, um, you know, not a lot of craziness will go on. It's, it's just for members. Uh, one of our goals for North American Trucking Alerts, and we will refer to it as NADA, is to highlight all those within the industry who are actively displaying their support for professional drivers um, and sharing their solutions to the industry problems. Um, doing that, we have some absolutely wonderful um, contributors on this site, um, their ideas and the measures they're taking towards viable solutions for the industry. Uh, you just need to go over and, and read the articles over there by some of these really awesome people that have come to join the uh, North American Trucking Alerts, and we're very, very grateful to have them. Um, if you'd like to be a sponsor of North American Trucking Alerts and be a recognized part of the solutions, share with us how your company is addressing the, uh, the difficulties within the industry, uh, what part of action you're taking, because the three A's of uh, NADA is awareness, accountability, and action. Just give us a call. 
uh, 352-465-7476 or email us at North American Trucking Alerts um, at gmail.com. Let's see. I had a little something else I wanted to share with you about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, Richard Wilson is our nomination. He is the um, regulatory and compliance. He's on the advisory council uh, at North American Trucking Alerts. And like I said, it's raising awareness, bringing accountability, and taking action. And there was uh, a proposed rule document that was issued with the intent to establish the entry-level driver training committee and is calling for the solicitation of applications and nominations for committee membership. Um, Now, in taking action toward uh, having a driver representative, uh, a member of this committee, which is called LDAC, uh, NADA is nominating or has nominated Richard Wilson, uh, and he is president of the CEO and TCRG Consulting and Regulations and also part of our advisory council. Uh, Mr. Wilson serves as the NADA Advisory Council as the Regulation and Compliance Representative, and he's regularly attending the FMCSA MCSAC meetings in Washington, D.C. already uh, on the uh, supporting drivers uh, and the industry as a whole. And he will continue to be doing that while he represents the NADA and its members. Uh, as drivers, uh, your comments and nominations for this LDAC com- committee membership is uh, a two-step process, and you can make your comment over at uh, regulations.gov, or you can just go to Ask the Trucker. There's the very first post up there. It has all the um, information on how to comment, or send your nomination in to LDAC at dot.gov and like I said that's all on there. Now you know if you have someone else you'd like to nominate by all means, you know, the whole idea is to get uh people on these committees that uh are going to represent the drivers thought of CDL training. I mean, a lot of the people on the committees in the past have been from safety advocacy groups or law enforcement, the carriers, um things like that. So we just want a little more even balanced of people who actually understand the um the drivers side of it. I know um Trucking Solutions Group is going to nominate uh Jeff Clark, another great nominee. And he's also a contributor on the NADA website. So um you know we we just need to have representation on that committee uh for the driver. Um um just just bear with me i'm I'm just reading through it. I think I hit everything um if if you want to be a member again, go to north american trucking dot com sign up and make sure you're you're a part of the um the the cobra giveaway and look around and once you get over there, you're gonna go, wow, this is really a great a great organization because you'll get the feel the the idea of Uniting through the awareness, the accountability, and the action to really address the problems in the industry without bias. And the key word we feel is accountability. Everyone, everyone has something that they can, they can offer 
to make these changes. And there's no whining, blaming, or anything like that. It's what can I do for this industry? And it's really, really going to set people apart and be kind of a clearinghouse uh, for the industry. And people are going to start to be highlighted and shine for what they're doing. And uh, uh, tonight, James Lamb, is uh, he's a contributor and an author uh, on uh, NADA. He's a supporter, and, uh, and he sees the vision, too. Uh, so go on over and take a look at, at what we have over there because it's it's really exciting. Um, I'm trying to see. I think that's all my announcements tonight, Alan. I uh, I think I've covered it all. Got it all in there? I think so. You're kind of winding down on me over there. I know. I get I get a little. Uh... I can tell when you're tired. We've <laughs> <laughs> been doing a lot of work. All right. Well, hey, uh, special thanks again to uh, Randy Tomlin for coming on and sharing his uh, story. Those, uh, all of you in the uh, chat room, really appreciate it. Everyone online listening, thanks for tuning in. That will do it. Until next time, on behalf of Donna Smith, truthabouttrucking.com, truthabouttruckinglive.com. Oh, there's no truthabouttruckinglive.com. No, no, we're blogtalkradio.com. Truthabouttrucking.com. TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, AskTheTrucker.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Truth About Trucking Live. I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening.